what do you think you learned, uh, or, or what what lessons uh, did you learn as a as a race director for Pumpkin Man um, that you think uh, sort of helped helped set you up to become an entrepreneur uh, of a of a pet supplement company? Huh, interesting. They sound very very different, right? But they're not. Um, I. You know, someone asked me what was the best thing about Pumpkin Man, and it was about the relationships that you develop, right? And for, that was for me anyway.、Um, I had an opportunity to—I I used to say that the Half Iron Man was like a, tra-、uh, a wedding, like it was a triathlon for brides, right? Because I just wanted to make sure everyone had the most epic experience.、Um, the same thing holds true for、um, our company today. I want every consumer. Um, every retail store,、um, anyone that I cross paths with, to have an amazing experience with my company. Hello there, podcast listener. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Eat Half Walkable Podcast, coming to you from the Ascend Endurance Coaching Studios here in beautiful Stratford, New Hampshire, U.S. of A. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. If you follow the show, thank you and welcome back. So this show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports as an exercise physiologist, coach, race director, and athlete, told to the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way, while I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member. It's my hope you'll learn a little something about health. Fitness and the secrets to living well along the way. Cat Donatello is my guest this week. Endurance athlete, race director, entrepreneur, dog owner, cancer survivor. I'm telling you, hold on to your hats because this is a great story. What started as a kitchen project to make a homemade remedy for her aging duck tolling retriever Brady, and something to take the edge off her new Labrador retriever Austin. Would eventually become an incredibly successful pet supplement company. This is a story you're going to want to hear. Well, here she is, Cat Donatello. Cat, welcome to the show. Hi there. How are you? Good.、Uh, actually, how are you? That's the question. What's what's going on on the left coast? Um, it's actually sunny today, which is、uh, a rarity for the last、uh, couple of weeks. We've had a tremendous amount of rain,、uh, which means a tremendous amount of muddy footprints through my house. <laughs> so the Pacific Northwest, of course, is is where you、uh, is where you currently reside,、uh, is is very well known for wet, dreary weather. Seattle, m- most specifically.、Um, so you mentioned you mentioned rain. We're taping the show in in mid March. Here,、uh, back east,、uh, where I am in New Hampshire,、uh, as you probably know, we just got pummeled with a nor'easter.、Uh, do you miss、uh, nor'easters? I know you. I you know、them. you. I absolutely. You're from Maine. Yeah, I miss them like crazy. Like snow days, there's nothing better than a a snow day, and then coming back inside and curling up in front of the fireplace with a big glass of red wine or a hot cocoa or. You know, and the dogs are all cuddled up, and yeah, I I miss it. But yeah, sure. having said that, I would not trade it for the world right now because <laughs> daffodils are blooming here, and 
all my pups have uh, absolute zoomies because they're ready to go out and play. <laughs> uh, okay, so I, I might have a little bit of spring envy. So what's the uh, what's the what's the Pacific Northwest equivalent to the nor'easter? I mean, you got obviously you guys don't get snowstorms like that, but what what kind of epic weather do you typically get then? Um. Yeah, it just rains. <laughs> <laughs> and as as we say, though, it's a different kind of rain. Like, um, and excuse my language, but it doesn't piss down rain like it does in New England. It just kind of misty rains <laughs> all the time. Got it. Um, I, I haven't spent a whole lot of time in the Pacific Northwest, but the time that I have spent there uh, is, uh, is has been very enjoyable. And in fact, I my recollection is I had good weather, um, but maybe, maybe, maybe that was, maybe I just, you know, once, once the sun comes out in June, it's gorgeous. I mean, you don't have to mow your lawn after July cause it just burnt off. Right. <laughs> um, but you know, it's spectacular here. It's got the best of every world from being at the ocean to being high in the mountains in an, in less than an hour. I mean, mm -hmm. I can go literally from, you know, sea level to, the base of Mount Rainier. I mean, you can't do that on the East Coast. Um, no. So th there are some incredible benefits in the cycling and the hiking and the running and the blah, 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 blah. You know, it, it's all here. So it, it is nature's playground for sure. Mm, uh, I would totally agree with that. So you, you and I have a, <clears throat> somewhat of a special connection. It's, um, it's thanks to your recommendation that Tuckerman and Boone, also known as Washakeg's Secret of Life and Washakeg's You've Got a Friend, are now members of our household. Of course, now that we have two dogs, and I know you have four dogs. I have four. The question is, is, is owning four dogs twice as hard as owning two dogs? I think owning three was harder than owning four. <laughs> I really do. I, I could do not. Me. I love it. It's, um, it is, I, I have two of my own daughters and I have two stepdaughters. So we have four daughters together, Tim, uh, Tim Moxie, my husband and I, and I, you know, someone's always got a friend when you have four. So it, it works out really, really well. And for us, you know, we've got two older male dogs and then two younger female dogs. It just, it works. And um, I really can't imagine our lives any other way. Well, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, on occasion, Tucker and Boone will be joined by a local friend uh, for one of our dog walks, whether it's my my daughter's uh, uh, rescued German Shepherd, Pemmy, um, or um, their um, German short-haired short pointer puppy friend named Nova. Uh, it is always a little awkward when it's Tucker and Boone and one friend, because inevitably it's Tucker, my four-year-old lab, and the dog friend, you know, kind of team up together. And Boone, my two-year-old, is constantly trying to get in on the action, trying to get the other dog to notice him, and he can't quite make it happen. So it it's a really good point that three three really is sort of is kind of awkward in the dog world, I guess. Yeah. I you know what's really interesting is um Austin. Austin is um eight. He's gonna I can't believe he's gonna be nine in in November because it just doesn't seem that long because he is we call him Benjamin Button. He's going backwards in age. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little while, why I believe he's going backwards in age. 
Um, but I swear to God, if he could speak when I got Blanca, who is our baby, she's our seven, eight month old, um, golden retriever. I think he secretly said thank you to me because Harper was driving him bananas. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think in many ways they are able to speak to us, just not in the way that, that, that humans communicate with each other. Um, so for the listener who doesn't know Kat Donatello, why don't you introduce yourself? Yes, I'm uh, Kat Donatello, uh, born and raised in New England. I moved out to Seattle in 2017, chasing a boy. You know, you know we all kind of do crazy stuff as we get older. Um, but in my, uh, my East Coast life, I was a race director for over 10 years. Um, I was uh, the founder of Pumpkin Man, uh, the infamous race in uh, Maine, first half Ironman ever. Uh, and I was the co-race director for Sea to Summit for many years with my ex-husband, Jeff Donatello. And, uh, you know, was very, very active in the New England racing scene, sat on uh, the USAT uh, National Board of Directors and, you know, got my got my uh, my hands dirty everywhere. I loved being part of the triathlon community. It's it's um, it's where I feel most at home. Uh, with the exception of what I do now. So uh, I moved, like I said, to the Pacific Northwest in 2017. I had started a um, pet supplements company uh, just as I was getting ready to exit Pumpkin Man. And uh, what started as a little basically home project to help my elder dog, uh, Brady, who's no longer with us, kind of get through the uh, the aspects of aging and and discomfort and doggy dementia type things uh, snowballed into what is now um, a, a pet products company that's sold in over 1,200 stores nationally and online. So it's it's been a a, a whirlwind of uh, of adventure. I'd I'd like to say. Mm. Um, well, I I want to spend quite a bit of time talking about uh, Austin and Cat. Um, you know, as as I was. Um, uh, recollecting on uh, how you and I know each other. Of course, I, I mentioned that it was your recommendation when I when we were looking to add a dog to our household, and specifically we were looking for a Labrador Retriever, that you reached out and suggested Washakeg's Retrievers in uh, Lowell, Maine, way up there. I mean, it's like- It's like Stephen King land up there. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I made the first drive up because they, I think they were in Dixmont when I got Austin. Yeah. And when I drove up to that, um, that farm and I drove and I drove and I drove. And then I met that family, um, Dave and, and Susan, right? Dave and Susan. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I absolutely fell in love with them and they, I couldn't imagine, you know, not getting a dog from them. So Brady my first dog um, had also come from them. So he was a Nova Scotia duck tolling retriever. And so we had this long relationship with them. And, and when I was ready to open my home uh, to getting a, another dog, I, I, I didn't want to get another toller. They're, they're an interesting breed in itself. And um, I, I really wanted a lab and I knew that they had bred labs and I thought, gosh, this is the perfect place to be a puppy. And uh, when you had posted, I think you posted on Facebook or something. I'm like, I did stop looking. I know exactly where you need to get your dog. <laughs> well, you, of course, were correct. Um, uh, I mean, as you know, as as breeders go, specifically as Labrador retriever and duck trolling retrievers go, 
the folks at Washa Kegs uh, are, in my opinion, absolutely the best. The uh, the process that they go through, um, uh, you know, the, the breeding program that that they have, and the process that they go through uh, in terms of um, you know testing the puppies and then and then matching the puppies to a home. You know, it's different, I think, than than the way others breed other breeders do it, where you know potential owners show up and they, you know, you look at a pen of puppies and you pick one. Well, that's not how Washa Kegs no works, right? They, uh, they have a, I mean, as I remember initially, we didn't have to fill out the questionnaire the second time when we got Boone, but the initial questionnaire was several pages long. Oh yeah. About I us. It was adopting a kid. It really was. Uh, but, but it made total sense because they, you know, they, they temperament tested the, uh, the, the puppies. I can't remember if it was whatever it was, six weeks, seven weeks, something like that. Um, and then based on the temperament testing, they would match the puppies to the homes based on what the owners were looking for. And, uh, I'm, 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 I'm 100% behind that because, um, again, we, we have just been, we, we were so lucky with, with Tuckerman, our four-year-old and, so pleased with with him and and the kind of dog that he is that when we were ready to add a second uh dog to the pack um we reached back out to them and in fact boone our two-year-old is from the same dame and sire as tuckerman they're they're biologically they're biologically the same uh genetically the same they just two years apart so uh so so lucky and and again i'm 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 so grateful that um that that you suggested them they certainly weren't the closest breeders to us, right? I mean, we we live in southern New Hampshire, and and uh, Washakegs now is like folks familiar it's with the Canada. state of Maine. They're, it's north it's of Orono. I mean, it's way the heck up there. Like it's way up there. You know, of course, Maine is such an it's a, such an incredibly large state that you know literally you could be driving for a half a day and you're still in Maine. Yeah, um, but I think I got you beat though, because Harper and Blanca are from Vermont. <laughs> and I flew in the middle of COVID to go get Harper from, I mean, no man's land, Vermont. I can't even remember the name of the town. It's so far away. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's so funny because I just, I ran into a, a, a gentleman that I know at the gym just the other day and I hadn't seen him in a while. And, and I asked him how he was doing and he said, uh, great. He said, Hey, aren't you a Labrador guy? And I said, I am a Labrador guy. He said, we just got a new puppy. I'm like, that's, that's phenomenal. I said, what, you know, what, what, tell me the details. Well, this gentleman lives in New Hampshire. He drove to Minnesota wow. to, to get his puppy, his Labrador retriever puppy. So clearly dog owners are, were wired a little bit differently. I, I think. I kind of feel like they're wired the same way. Um, well, at most athletes have dogs. Like I think the, the number, the ratio or, or something like that, it, it says most, Especially if you're a runner. If you're a runner and you don't have a dog, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a good point. So uh, not only do we have the dog connection, obviously, but but as I was thinking back to it, um, I'm sure that I, I came to know who who you were, likely through the race directing scene. I, we we host races as well. Not we host we host off uh, off road races, trail races, and mountain races. Uh, but of course you can't be in the new England racing scene and not hear about pumpkin man triathlon and, or, and, or see to summit. They were, and, and still are some, some fairly iconic events. So I, I probably, I probably came to know who you were before I actually had, a, had an opportunity to, uh, to, to get to know you. So 
um, that's that's my recollection uh, of how we came to know each other. Do you do you do you recollect it different than that? No, I think it's identical. I mean, um, definitely the racing community. You and you yourself are you know iconic when you when you talk about that. You know, it's Chris Dunn, right? That's how I that I knew you is that Chris Dunn. <laughs> well, you know what's funny about that now is that <laughs> there's actually now another another guy in the area uh, locally in the New Hampshire area, younger guy, younger than me, uh, and much faster than me. He's a road racer and his name is Christopher Dunn. So I, 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 I do get from time to time, you know, questions about, are, now, are you that, are you that Chris Dunn? And of course I have to ask him, well, which one are we talking about? Are we talking about the older guy that, <laughs> that puts on races? Or are we talking about the younger guy that runs real fast? And, the, and, and in a, in a very short time, we were able to figure out which Chris Dunn they're talking about. <laughs> of course, I appreciate that. Um, you also you also coached a little bit for a hot minute, yeah? Yeah, for a little bit. Um, it was really something that was interesting to me to do to to kind of bring my experiences. Um, I, I, I primarily coach people who are going to try and accomplish the Ironman distance. Um, you know, I've got quite a few under my belt, uh, well over a dozen. Um, I've had great days and I've had horrible days, so I I thought you know I could bring that experience. Um, to other uh, other athletes. And I enjoyed doing that. It just, I don't think I understood the magnitude um, and commitment um, and responsibility that came with coaching someone. Um, I think there's a lot of coaches out there who don't appreciate all that. Um, but I think for those, and I had two phenomenal uh, coaches in my career, uh, Kurt Parham, uh, who we ever, I think everyone knows Kurt Perum um, and Jenna Ricky Munn. Those two gentlemen uh, were literally the backbone of, of my, um, my success in triathlon. And I, I can't thank them enough. And, and I still have uh, their sayings in the back of my head. And, you know, when I think of something, oh, uh, Kurt would have totally given me crap for that. Um, so, you know, I, I think, and they're very, very dedicated coaches. Um, so for me, it just, the timing wasn't right because I was so very involved, um, in pumpkin man and raising my two daughters, um, you know, given another time and place, maybe it would have been the right thing to do. So yeah. I enjoyed it while I did it, but yeah, dabbled. Yeah. Um, well, and of course the, not only the time commitment, but the, but the emotional involvement in order to do it well mm -hmm. in terms of, in terms of coaching, um, can at times be quite all encompassing. And so, you know, really, if, in my opinion, I mean, if you're not, if you're not in a, if you're not in the correct time in your life with respect to family and, 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 and your own racing, and of course, any other outside ventures that you're taking on, uh, in a fairly short period of time, coaching, even, even, even just coaching a handful of people can get really overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think, I think, I think folks can realize very quickly that, um, that they're not doing their athletes justice that because they're not able to give their athletes the time and, 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 and their energy, like, like they know they need to, because you've been coached by some pretty extraordinary people. So, you know, you know what it's like to be coached in a, in a very, in an extraordinary way. And, uh, of course, I think that's what, that's what makes it even, even more, uh, challenging when, you know, as a coach, you're not, you're not giving of yourself the way that really, you know that you need to, right? No, in order yeah. to do it, in order to do it effectively. Um, well, I still, 
I still run into in, into athletes um, uh, that that mention you with with regard to being coached by you, and I, and and they always they always recollect that very fondly. I, I might say. You know, I um, also look though at um at Pumpkin Man when I look back at at my days. You know, I over ten years um, putting that race on, and I, I did not um, maybe actually coach athletes through Pumpkin Man. But I was a part of so many people's um, very first journey into the triathlon world um, that I, you know, became sort of a um, a mentor on how to get through an event like Pumpkin Man or get through any triathlon event. But you know, Pumpkin Man will always hold a very special place in my heart and and in many people's hearts uh, in the. Um, uh, you know, the, the East coast, um, you know, specifically in, in Maine and New Hampshire, it, it's our backyard race. We didn't, once we lost Timberman, you know, and, and Mooseman, we lost those backyard races with Keith Jordan having left, um, the scene. Um, so to have those races, you know, like what Mark Walter's doing in Massachusetts, all, you know, those, those types of events, um, having that family feel and the race director who really honestly cared what was happening um, moment to moment? What, what, you know, you can't you can't replace that with a big corporate machine. You just can't well, do it. well, I'm 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 actually really glad that you brought that up. I wasn't necessarily thinking that I was going to bring that up, but you brought that up. Um, so it is somewhat of a regional controversy, or at least it's a re it, it's a regional topic of conversation. That big corporate behemoth that I, I won't mention the name, you know, coming in and buying up some of the mom and pop races to put them on for a year and then discontinue them, perhaps in an effort to reduce the amount of competition. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there that if, if you're a, you know, if you're a mega company and you have the resources to buy out mom and pop races, then um, you you can actually improve your your leverage and your competitive and your competitiveness within the region by reducing competition. You, I mean, you and I both know that competition is a good thing. I mean, in in all things, of course, uh, but particularly in business, it can be because it it can drive innovation and it, and it can drive us to be better versions of ourselves. But massive companies really don't necessarily care about that. I think in many instances, they just want less competition because it really gets to their bottom line. So with that, with that premise, then were you ever approached either formally or informally by said mega company to, uh, to, to, to be bought Not out? said mega company, but I would, I would, um, I was approached by larger companies. And at the time when I, so when I started Pumpkin Man um, in 2005, basically, it was when that brainchild started to, to happen. And, and we had our first race in 2007. Um, I said I would do it for 10 years. My daughter, Liddy, um, who is, you know, now out of college and working, she works for Downey Cider. I'm plugging her now. Um, awesome. Go buy a cider. She'll be happy. Um I said I would do it until she was a senior in high school because Pumpkin Man was donating all of its monies back to the school system, uh, it, to the athletic programs within the Marshwood School District and, and somewhat outside of the, that school district, too, but primarily in the Marshwood School District. And our volunteers came from that, you know, 
different sports teams and their parents. So, you know, if you were ever uh, lucky enough to do the race, you know, you might have been on the bike course during the half Ironman and the ski team covered one of the aid stations entirely. We had the um, field hockey team on the sprint um, race uh, run course. So, you know, we had different uh, groups that were very, very involved. So we, we put all our money back into the community. So having said that, um, when I was getting ready to, to make that transition, I had three very, very interested parties, um, two of which would have been probably financially slam dunks for me. Um, but it was very important for me for Pumpkin Man to not lose its personality, to not lose its hometown feel, um, to not lose uh, the volunteers. Um, so it was absolutely a no brainer for me to turn it over to the Martin family. Uh, Rachel Martin has done wonderful things with it. The triathlon landscape has dramatically changed in the last, you know, seven to eight years. Right. Um, so knowing that Rachel was significantly younger than me and had a lot more energy than I could ever bottle. Um, it, it, it would just as a good fit. She went to high school there. She grew up in the town. Her kids were still in the town. Um, her husband was very involved. So it was a no brainer for me to, to make that transition. Um, and I'm really, really happy that I did it that way. I, I, I wouldn't change a thing. Mm. The race is still incredibly special to the community. Well, I just think that <clears throat> there aren't enough, um, I say small, I don't mean small in, in, in terms of impact. I mean, I mean, small in terms of, in terms of organization and, 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 uh, and, and corporate entity. There just, there just aren't enough of these, of these local mom and pop events. Um, because I, I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's those events that have the most charm and character and also, you know, uh, philanthropic outreach as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. That, that it's not all about the bottom line. It's not all about the money that's going into the, into the pockets of, of the people that put the races on. And by the way, race directors need to be compensated for their, for, for their, for their work. But, but there, but there can be some harmony there um, that you can make a profit and also, and also do well, do good in the community at the same time. I don't think that, that making profit and, and, and doing well locally in terms of charitable giving, I don't think those two things are, are competitive entities. I think, I think they can, they can mutually coexist. Oh, absolutely. And they should, because you're going to get the best out of everybody, you know? And it, it was, um, I, I look back on my time there, my husband and I were just, we were taking a walk the other day and we were talking about the uniqueness of, of Pumpkin Man and the way the community just completely rallied around the success of it. I mean, for those of, of you um, who weren't aware, in 2016, the last year we put the race on, um, we had um, uh, a very unique weather system go through on the half Ironman day. It was it was something that no one ever expected. And, and you had asked me uh, yesterday, you know, what are the things that people don't realize um, or, or aren't aware of, you know, or challenges that race directors, you know, you can prepare for every single contingency. You hope and pray to God that you don't ever have to deal with any of them. But I had over 400 athletes on a bike course when a weather system came through 
that was completely unexpected. And to know everyone got back from that uh, bike ride safe and sound, maybe jam-packed in cars, um, essential water trucks, police cars. I mean, that wasn't something that we planned for, but we had uh, safety plans in place. But even with the the most well-intentioned and best laid plans, there was still a lot of chaos. It's such a difficult position for race directors to be in. Uh, of course, you know, weather forecasting is as good now as obviously as it's ever been with technology being what it is. And yet as, and yet as, so as race directors, we can, you know, the day before we can look ahead at what is forecasted with respect to the weather and we can look at the timing and then we can anticipate how that forecasted weather might impact us. And then, you know, in that moment, the day before the race, we can make a decision to truncate or to postpone or to uh, otherwise alter our event because of a forecasted weather system. But that's always dicey, too, because, it's, you know, there's there's always some uncertainty associated with forecasting. It's not a it's not a it's not a lock solid guarantee. And of course, if we make the decision, say, for instance, to turn the, a triathlon into a duathlon, uh, if you know, if, we, if you were to skip one discipline, or as as mountain or trail race directors, if we decide we're going to alter the course because of the forecast, and that weather doesn't come to be, then we look a little bit silly. So, oftentimes, again, as you know, this as race directors, we almost have to make decisions on the fly, um, and and it becomes a, a significant challenge because we've got to have we've got to have really good communication. We've got to be able to communicate to our our co-race directors. We got to we have to be able to communicate to our staff and our team and our volunteers and all the other ancillary people that are involved in organizing the race. Like we we've, we've got to be able to communicate that on the fly. That for instance, the bike course is going to be shut down or the swim course is going to be altered. And it's an incredibly difficult position to be in. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it was heart wrenching. I mean, I was on the phone with the National Weather service in Maine, in Gray, Maine, I believe they're located. That's right. Gosh, I can't remember. This is like I'm having PTSD. Um, <laughs> alongside me were uh, poli uh, police chiefs from two towns, and we were all on the radios together trying to make this decision. Everyone was out of the water at this point. And I said, all right, let's, let's go. And the weather people said, you're going to be okay. It's coming in. You're going to have high winds. That I never in a million years, we did not expect to be the eye of the storm right at, at the transition area. I mean, to stand there and watch the perimeter of the um, transition area literally go up into the air and, you know, multi-thousand dollars of bikes crashing down. You're thinking, oh my gosh. And then you're thinking, wait, are all the people okay? And we've got families coming up to me saying, you know, I, my son is out on the course. My my wife is out on the course. I'm getting in my car and going. And we're like, no, you need to stay put. They're actually going to be safer because we had enough communication with uh, aid station captains and everyone on the different corners that we were able to literally pull people off and say, okay, you're waiting here until the storm goes through. So, you know, and, and then the crazy thing is, you know, 45 minutes later, 
bright blue sky, sun. It was absolutely gorgeous. But you want to talk about a post-race party. I mean, war stories. People were sharing and there was hugs and new friends were made. So, you know, we turned as bad of a situation into a, a really good situation. Yeah. I went home that day, in fact, you know, very late in the afternoon, um, probably into the early evening. And I had a tree on my house. So, you know, we had, it was, it was a tremendous day. Um, so, you know, going out like that, that's not how I wanted to go out, but. Well, yeah. And it can be, um, as race directors, particularly in that, in that circumstance where, you know, you had been directing the race for several years. I mean, almost a decade at that point. Um, it's gut wrenching because you know, that, um, you had built relationships with a lot of the people that were supporting the race, not only as participants. In other words, you had friends that were out there racing, um, the volunteers uh, and, and, and some of your other other team leaders. These are family and friends. Right. So it's obviously everyone that comes and participates in our events uh, are special to us. Um, but when, when we are involved in an event with an event for that length of time, we develop extra special relationships with the people that support our events, again, either as participants uh, or as volunteers. And so, and so really it's, I mean, it's extra gut wrenching because these are, these are family and friends. These are people that, that you care about and that you're close to uh, that are out there in harm's way. Let me ask you, let me ask you this as a segue into Austin and Kat. Um, what do you think you learned uh or, or what what lessons uh, did you learn as a as a race director for Pumpkin Man um, that you think uh, sort of helped helped set you up to become an entrepreneur uh, of a of a pet supplement company? Huh, interesting. They sound very very different, right? But they're not. Um, I, you know, someone asked me what was the best thing about Pumpkin Man and it was about the relationships that you develop. Right. And for, that was for me anyway. Um, I had an opportunity to, I, I used to say that the half Ironman was like a, uh, a wedding, like it was a triathlon for brides. Right. Cause I just wanted to make sure everyone had the most epic experience. Um, the same thing holds true for um, our company today. I want every consumer um, every retail store, um, anyone that I cross paths with to have, an amazing experience with my company, be it with the product and getting the results um, that they're looking for, um, just getting treated the right way from my my customer service team, um, to just having a good, being able to walk away and say, that's a company that I know, know knows cares, like they care. And we really do care. I have this gal that works for me. Her name's Becky. Becky runs um, customer service or is one of our customer service people. And she uh, actually raised her hand to do this job, which is the most gut-wrenching job. She handles condolences. And, you know, you forget about like, I'm in the wellness business. And a lot of people will come to our company having tried every possible thing under the sun to get their dog um, relief whether it's from pain or anxiety or end of life care. And some of those customers we've had since the beginning. So for eight years and inevitably their dogs will pass. And 
We've developed relationships with a lot of these people. And I'll walk into the offices someday and Becky will just be a sobbing mess. And she'll say, you've got to read this email. You know, so-and-so's pet died and they couldn't thank us enough for being, you know, part of helping their dog live an extra couple of years or having a better quality of life or, you know, getting to go on that last, you know, run or walk, whatever. And, you know, that's when you realize, okay, that's why I get up every morning that I get up to make a difference in not only a pet's life, but in a family's life. And when you can do that, it's not much different than what I did at Pumpkin Man, right? Yeah. If, if I changed your life because you got off the couch and, and participated in your first ever triathlon, your family is so freaking proud of you. And they're so happy and they see your your energy, all of those things are, they, they go right hand in hand with what I'm doing today. Yeah. And not, not all businesses of course are, um, have the ethos of, of building relationships, but I think it's, I think those businesses that, that do have that as a, as a core value, as a, as a core principle, um, I, I think put themselves in a position to be much more successful and to, and to outcompete their, competitors. So, um, well, tell us more about Austin and Kat and, and specifically how did it get started? Cause I, that's an interesting story there. Yeah. I mean, everyone, you know, who's had a dog has gone through that point in their, in their journey with their pet, that it, it's not the same as it was when they were three or four years old. And I had this dog, uh, Brady that we spoke of earlier, Nova Scotia duck tolling retriever, um, for those of you who don't know what that breed is, picture a border collie um, on, you know, uh, a big giant glass of Coca-Cola. It is, they're wound. They are a working dog. And Brady couldn't have been a better uh, running partner uh, in the whole wide world. He would, he was like the Energizer Bunny, although he's now been replaced with a bigger Energizer Bunny. But this dog could go forever, whether it's hiking, uh, running. Uh, if we were kayaking, he was next to the boat, right? Like this dog was amazing. But um, as he was aging, you know, he just wasn't doing very well. And uh, he he wasn't the same dog. He didn't want to be with us. He would prefer to be um, in his crate in the, in the room that we had kept that in. He just wasn't engaged. You, you knew he was not comfortable. He'd get up. He was making, you know, grumpy noises and whatnot. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to have been, been introduced to, um, to CBD. Um, CBD stands for cannabidiol, which is the non-psychoactive uh, component of the cannabis plant. So you've got two components in the cannabis plant. You have um, THC, which is, you know, everyone knows what THC is. That's the what gets you high. Um, and then we have CBD, which uh, works on the body. It helps bring the body back into balance. So you can be, you know, hyper, um, super anxious, super inflamed, or you can be really down and, and, and not feeling good. So it's about bringing the body back to level. Uh, so my husband, Tim Moxie, who's been in a, involved in a number of companies. He's the, um, he was the founder of Noon. Um, he started um, Blue 70 Wetsuits, uh, which was previously Ironman Wetsuits, and had, had left those companies and um, had become involved in the cannabis space in the state of Washington. And so he's an early, you know, an early adopter, I guess you'd say, and had experience of, of working uh, with THC and uh, CBD and putting it into um, uh, edibles, 
so to speak. Uh, he had a, a, a cannabis license here in Washington and he had gone to a conference um, and called me so excited. And he said, they're talking about using CBD for dogs and um, let's get some. And, and when, Brady. when was, when was this cat? This, this was 2014. Okay, so a long time ago. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, let's give it a whirl. I mean, I'm at this point where like, you know, I'd go to the veterinarian and they, you know, wanted to put them on all kinds of pharmaceuticals. And it just didn't fit my lifestyle, Chris. You know, um, here I was an, an Ironman athlete, you know, eating super healthy, taking supplements, treating my body like, you know, I hate to say it like a temple, but really taking very, very good care of my body. And, you know, my veterinarian's wanting to, you know, basically drug up my dog so he doesn't feel pain. And that just didn't make sense to me. Uh, it didn't make sense to Tim. So, um, you know, long story short, through lots of experimentation, how am I going to bake this into a dog treat that Brady will eat. Um, I finally did come up with one. And I mean, there were many, many iterations, um, but we tried this on him and, and it was remarkable. I mean, it was within 30 to 45 minutes. You just had a noticeable difference in his carriage, like how he was carrying himself. You could see like, I feel, I feel different. Like he had a, a spring in his step. I mean, it sounds so cliche, but it just was different. It, you know, for someone who was so in tune with their pets and I, I, I th feel like I am, um, it, it just was noticeable and it was repeating itself. It repeated itself day after day after day. And I thought, geez, I might be onto something here. Right. And Austin at the time was three or four months old bananas. I mean, he was, I don't know how Tuckerman and Boone were as puppies, but I didn't want to tell you that part when I initially told, because, because Austin turned into this amazing dog, but he was bonkers. Like I left him alone once with a dog sitter and he ate through drywall down to the studs. <laughs> and I think that was about the time that I started um, him on CBD to kind of help dial him down a bit. I didn't want to take the puppiness away from him because being a puppy is super, super important. They need to have the zoomies. When people come to me now and say, oh, my dog's with the zoomies. Good. That's normal. They've got to get that energy out. Um, but for Austin, he was having a really hard time focusing. And I'd go to, you know, I'd go to dog school and he, like the kid with ADHD, I just couldn't get him to focus. And so I started using the treats with him. And suddenly it was like he was a horse with blinders on. He could pay attention and focus on me. And this is a dog who, when I moved here to Washington State, had never been on leash before. So I watch your dogs on videos that you post and I'm like, that's so much like Austin. Now he's here in the city. So he's got to be unleashed until he can get to the park. Right. He's not a good leash dog. He needs to be off leash, but he's, he was so amazing. And just, you know, it just really, really made a difference with him. And Brady, who was literally on his last legs. I mean, I'd written a blog, go find my old blog, Cat Donatello. Um, I'd written a blog, literally wishing him goodbye. Like, you were an instrumental part of my life. I love you, blah, blah, blah. I got another two years out of him. And I attribute it solely to, to CBD diet um, and, and how, you know, he lived. Um, but he lived a really, really, really good final two years of his life. And I attribute it solely to CBD. Mm. So, how do, so how do you go from, well, in, in a sense, um, your use of CBD with your own dogs was almost your proof of concept, at least your, your, your individual proof of concept, but you still, but you still had to prove the concept 
um, to other dog owners too, right? Because uh, I mean, it, it, it could have been cause and effect, or it could have been a casual relationship in terms of the impact. Who knows? Um, but but what was the next step then? I mean, once... What, well, what, I was... What... Yeah, I was really lucky. So one of my training partners, long before I been introduced to CBD, was Dr. Mike Schaefer, who's a veterinarian. And I started to talk to him about it. And he's like, yeah, we're hearing rumblings about this. And... So we talked, we did a lot of long bike rides together and talked a lot about this. So I knew it wasn't just something that was happening to me. And then I just started sharing it around. And it really just kind of one friend wanted to try it, the next friend wanted to try it. Then I had this, you know, group of triathlon women that I was racing with, um, the Betty Designs team. I think there were like 150 of us at that time. I'm putting it out there. Who wants to try my dog treats? And, you know, it just kind of like, tumbleweeded. And Tim being an entrepreneur was like, listen, you need, you need something new to do. Like you need a new company, you need a new business, you need a new focus. And it, it kind of fell in my lap. I mean, it's not been easy at all because I'm an entrepreneur and I'm working with at the time, which was a federally illegal substance. Right. So yeah, try to tell your dad who's a sheriff in Massachusetts that you're going to do that. And then you're going to marry this boy who has a cannabis license. Like that's not going to go over really well. Actually did go over very well, but it was, it was just something that worked. And the beautiful thing about it, Chris, is that if I give you CBD, I can tell you all the right things and all the things you want to hear and I might just be able to get you convinced that that's how you feel. But I give it to your dog. Your dog's not going to know that I gave him that treat versus the other treat. But you are going to notice a massive difference in your dog. Whether your dog's not drooling and pacing during the fireworks, you can go to the veterinarian, you could go get a nail trim. All of these things customers are coming back and telling us. So we knew we were definitely onto something. And, um, and so then I just said, okay, I'm, I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump. What do I have to lose? So Yeah. So what you're referring to, I think is, uh, is the placebo effect, right? So you absolutely. can, you can, <laughs> you, uh, you can prime me. Absolutely. Intellectually to, uh, to experience an effect, even if, even if what you gave, gave me isn't there aren't any active components to it, but to your point, uh, your, your, your dog doesn't work that way. Your, your dog is not influenced by, by no, by the just feels better. <laughs> uh, right. So, uh, how do you come up with the name Austin and cat? Uh, my dog's name is Austin and I'm cat. <laughs> um, no, well, you know, there were a lot of different iterations of what we were going to call the company. And I was proud of what I was doing. And I also wasn't ashamed of it. And, if I put my name on it, then I needed to believe it. I didn't have anything to hide behind. And uh, I'm to this day, a lot of people think that Tim's name is Austin. I'm like, no, it's not Austin. <laughs> Austin is my dog and I'm Kat. So it's, yeah, it's, I can't, it, it, he's awesome. Austin is just a, well, you'd say, you'd say it about your two. He's a one in a million dog. For just, sure. Yeah. For sure. Did you, uh, did you bootstrap? Uh, the startup oh, or yeah. did you, yeah. Or did, yeah. did you solicit investors? I have not one investor. I still own the company 100% with the exception of about 8% of the, 
uh, that my, my staff owns. So I, we're uh, employee, partially employee owned, but no um, outside money. Yeah. That's really, that, that's call me impressive. if you have some money. <laughs> yeah, quite impressive. Actually. Uh, of course, my wife, Karen and I, uh, we are avid, avid viewers of shark tank. And so yeah. uh, it's, it's always interesting to hear stories of these startup companies, right. That, that, that come to venture capitalists uh, to take their company to the next level. And how many times do these, uh, do these entrepreneurs, uh, uh, go knocking on the doors of venture capitalists and these entrepreneurs don't even own the majority of their company anymore. Uh, right. So to be able to bootstrap it and to be able to say that, uh, that you are the majority owner and not only that, to be able to offer ownership to your employees is a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Actually, it's really, really quite impressive. So you, you initially sold your products directly to consumers through your website. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, why did you also decide to take it to retail? Because I am fiercely competitive. Um, my my uh, athletic genes came shining through. I was in a store um, here in Seattle called All the Best Pet Care, um, and there was another product on shelf that didn't have the branding we had, didn't have the message we had, didn't have the product we had, and I wanted to be on shelf. And uh, so I knocked on that door um, a lot of times and got a lot of no's and uh, had a conversation. Interestingly, gosh, funny to think about this. This was 2017, had a conversation with a gentleman by the name of uh, Tim McGee, who I just hired. Um, But Tim was a friend of my husband, Tim Moxie. So Moxie and McGee, they worked together at noon. and he helped startups. Uh, that was one of his things that he did. And um, he gave me some great advice. So I got a face-to-face uh, appointment with the owner, Josh Moss, and um, sat down and, you know, big, giant boardroom table. Because this is like a 16, 17-store chain. It's very well known in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and... Uh, you know, I'm at this big board table and he starts asking me questions. And I'm like, I don't even know the answers to these like margins. And I don't know what any of this means. Um, but then he flat out was like, no, we're not interested. And I was like, ugh, right. I was so depressed. I was so bummed. But, you know, I had given it my ball and a, you know, well done cat. And got in the car and sat in the car for a minute. And I called McGee and I, you know, told him and he's like, all right, you'll get another appointment. Don't worry. And by the time I'd gotten home, I had a voicemail and uh, it was from Josh Moss. And he said, can you come back tomorrow? All right. So I went back the next day and um, they placed a purchase order and it was huge. And it was the biggest order that I was ever going to have. Like, I mean, it was more than I was selling in a month online. And I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to do this? Um, but we did it. And uh, they're still one of my best customers today. Mm. What? Uh, so I have a couple of questions about that. Uh, first of all, what, what what was it like to see your product uh, on the store shelves there in that, in, that, uh, in that store? It's still surreal. It's really cool. Um, and it's funny because I'll get text messages from, from friends all over the country. Obviously, racing as much as I did over the years. I've got friends everywhere. And I'll get, I'll get a text message. I'm like, who's this? And it'll be a picture of my product on a shelf in some pet store, you know, in Milwaukee or, you know, Vermont or something. And, oh, 
you know, it's, it's still so cool. And, and when I go into stores, you know, I'll, I'll always introduce myself. Um, and I'll say, Hey, I'm Kat from Austin and Kat. And they're like, wait, you're a real person. Like that's a real person. <laughs> uh, I have a funny story though about Austin and Kat. This is, um, last summer. Oh my gosh. And we'll never forget this. Tim, my husband, Tim was not a dog person before he met me. So Suddenly he's got four. That's a lot of dog. Um, <laughs> yes. And, you know, he can't, if I was told him I was bringing home a fifth tomorrow, he'd probably just shake his head and say, whatever you're doing, cat. Okay. So we're driving, we're pulling into the parking lot to all the best on Stoneway, which is a fairly busy street in Seattle. And we're pulling in and the car windows are down and we had just come from the dog park and uh, it was a Sunday and Austin jumped out the car window. Oh no. And ran straight to the door at all the best. Nose right up against the door. I open it and we're like, we're here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I, I would imagine, I mean, if you're going to do an in-store appearance, right? And Austin is not with you, it's you're that you know that they're actually kind of getting half the deal, aren't they? Oh yeah. No, totally. He when we had local trade shows, like before. COVID hit and we were having more trade shows. We were doing more in-store events. He always would come with me. And a lot of times I'd be at a trade show and he's gone. Like someone <laughs> would just take him around the trade show floor. I mean, he's just, you know, he's allowed. Like, he's like, where are we going now? <laughs> so my, my other question was about um, scale yeah, and scalability, right? So when you, um, when you receive that, 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 that first large PO, yeah. Um, did you think for a moment that it, that was going to be difficult to fulfill with the operation that you had? In other words, did, did you have to scale um, at that point? And then have you scaled uh, operations since then? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've scaled many times. Um, my very first bakery uh, was, um, hold on to your hats, was at Spring Hill where we held Pumpkin Man. So I had had a bakery in Northern Maine that a gal was helping me work at and it didn't work. Uh, it was not winterized and we were in there about three weeks and all my flour, 50 pound bags, don't store them on top of one another. First lesson I learned, went through the floor. So we needed to vacate that pretty quickly. And I called Spring Hill and I'm like, you know how you guys make all those turkeys for Pumpkin Man on the half Ironman day? Does that mean you have a lot of ovens? They're like, yeah. Like, what do you do with them on the days you're not open? They said, uh, nothing. I'm like, can I rent them and bake my dog cookies there? So that was my first bakery. Um, but then, yeah, we, we've we had a number of, of uh, bakeries here. Um, during COVID, we moved to a co-manufacturer. And that was probably the biggest business mistake I've made ever. Yeah, so that that's that's a common thing, of course, um, particularly for uh, uh, for food based products, right? Like this, you're 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 faced with this dilemma, right? That 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 you know you need to scale and that you want to scale because there's demand out there, but as soon as you have a co-manufacturer, you lose something in terms of the ability to control quality. Yeah. Uh, right. Because I, I would assume that in the beginning, like you were literally mixing the dough and you were and right. You were you were making the formulations like you had your you literally had your hands. Every, yeah. You had your hands day. in every part of the process. 
you go to a co-manufacturer and or a co-packer and you lose a little bit of that. Is that what happened to you? Yeah. For the primary ingredients, we were able to send them all of the proprietary stuff in, you know, so we would co we would make that in our facility because our facility was, was of size that we could do that. Um, the quality of product that came out of them and, you know, they blame COVID, they blame this, they blame that. Um, doesn't matter. It wasn't, it wasn't up to my standards. We pulled it off shelf. It was, it was bad. Um, we, that was, that was hard because it was in the middle of a pandemic. Right. And to like suddenly think, holy shit, um, I've got to open a new factory. Like I have to open a factory in the middle of a pandemic. Okay, we're going to do this. And that was in, we had enough product from them. So we didn't have to pull it all. It wasn't all horrible. And we were still making all of our oils and our powders. So we were making those in-house. It was the chews and the chews are our number one sellers. Um, treats, cookies, whatever you want to call them. But legally, we have to call them chews. Um, those were being made by the co-manufacturer. So we had enough product to probably hold us six months. Um, so I knew I had a little bit of a window to get a facility going, but gosh, that was a challenge. Uh, we moved into our new location. Uh, I, I leased it in October of 21, moved in in November of 21. We're manufacturing by March of 22. Mm. So, um, just question in the weeds here. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if, if it's a, if it's a product for human consumption, Mm -hmm. And the co-manufacturer produces it and you taste your product and you're like, this is not, this is not my oatmeal cookie. Like this is, this is an oatmeal cookie, but it's not my oatmeal cookie. Well, well dog treats, of course, are, or dog chews or dog products Product. or supplements are different. Cause you, I'm assuming you're not, you're not tasting it to see. No, so how I taste every single thing. They're all human grade. So how did, but, it, but is that how you knew that the product was not was not authentic. To, there were to a couple was. things. Um, taste, yes, but the it was the it was the downstream. So that it was the way they packaged. It was how the like. I mean, more meticulous. Like I am, you know, white gloves. I want everything white glove. I'd open up a bag, and because these are dosage forms, so it's called a dosage form product. How can you dose when it's all broken? I mean, there's something about getting an Oreo cookie, right? If you got a smashed Oreo cookie, you don't, that's not an Oreo cookie. Same kind of thing. This is a, a product that like is 10 milligrams of CBD in that cookie. They all weigh the same. They all weighed the same, but they were all smashed. It was just not, I can't sell that. I can't ask somebody to pay $34 and getting smashed up cookies and they're puzzle piecing them together to give their dog the right amount. So that was really the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. Got it. Um, how long did it take you to recover from that uh, financially? I mean, that must have. That, We're that, still recovering from that. Yeah. Financially. Okay. All right. So that's a yeah. That's a, it's a it's a really significant thing. Um, well, let's 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 talk more about uh, the products specifically about. Uh, well, we'll talk about the entire product line, but um, but but I want to focus on on CBD first because it seems to me when I when I visit your your website, and I've I spent I've spent a lot of time on your website the last couple of days. It's Sorry. phenomenal. It's a, no, it's getting redone right now. Well, it's a it 
it, it's a very, it's a very, very cool website, austinandcat.com. Um, there's actually, a, there's a lot of phenomenal information, not just about your products. Uh, obviously you can shop for your products, but there's a lot of a, additional, really interesting information on that website. But it seems to me when I visit the website that uh, CBD uh, is a, is a, uh, is, is very forward in terms of, in terms of the presentation of the product. Now, not all of your products contain CBD, and you're, you're going to talk about your entire product line. Um, but that's that's the that's the genesis of the of the business. That's how the business was started, right? With, yeah. with using CBD um, uh, as a uh, uh, as a way to improve uh, uh, wellness and and uh, and, and function uh, in in your dogs. Um, so you 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 mentioned what CBD was, but um, there is something known as the endocannabinoid system. That system, um, it, it, humans have that system, and dogs, well, presumably, all mammals, all, all mammals have. Yeah. So, what what is the endo endocannabinoid uh, system, and and why is it important to our pets? Yeah. Well, so I'll just refer to it as the ECS, the endocannabinoid system. Um, everyone has one, and it hasn't been. Um, researched all that for all that long. Okay. So it's, it's not something we've known about for a really long time, but the endocannabinoid system really regulates all of the body functions that help with sleep and appetite and digestion, um, anxiety, brain health. And it's all about keeping it in balance or homeostasis. And when those things are off, I, I look at that I've used this term for a long time is uh, inflammation, but I can, I can say inflammation can come in a variety of different ways. It can come in the form of pain. That's how we know inflammation, right? But an inflammatory response could be something, you know, that's very heightened, right? So uh, a dog on alert is having an inflammatory response to something, right? Be it thunderstorms, fireworks, uh, atmospheric changes, the mailman, uh, the backing up of the UPS truck, um, trips to the veterinarian, but then there's also, you know, hip and joint issues, skin issues, digestion issues. Um, as dogs age, they deal with things like dementia, um, and cognitive issues. Um, so if we're not in balance there, then we're going to have a response and the body has two receptors, uh, in the endocannabinoid system. One is the CB1 and one is CB2. THC finds one of them and locks in just like a key. And CBD works on the other one. And our bodies naturally produce cannabinoids. But when you're in this state of inflammation, you need to supplement in some way to help bring that body back into balance. Mm -hmm. And so for you or I, you know, if you're having a really anxious moment, well, Chris, maybe it's time to go meditate or go for a run, or maybe you need more sleep. Well, I can't do that with my dog, right? So we have to help them in different ways. And one of the ways we can help them is by supplementing um, with CBD. And the goal is not to knock your dog out, but it's just to calm your dog down or relieve their pain um, or help them along their way, along their journey. And, you know, I look at Austin and um, I say he's the most CBD dog out there, right? He's been using CBD on a daily basis um, since he was three months old. And every year when we go to our checkup, our veterinarians, you know, I've seen a variety of them over the years, cannot believe he's as old as he is. He's the spitting image of health. He is, there's nothing wrong with him. 
I shouldn't say that. Knock on wood because he's out with a with our dog walker right now. But this dog is just so incredibly healthy. And, you know, to, to know what he goes through on a daily basis, being his activity levels and and just what we're doing as a as a busy household, like your dogs, right? And and your dogs, Chris, I'm gonna send you product because they could totally benefit from being on on this. And I'm a firm believer that um being proactive is far better than being reactive. So if you can be preventative in in that way, and some of our other products can help do those types of things without maybe if you're not comfortable using CBD, there are other supplements that I highly recommend um, that we can really, really help our dogs live happier, healthier, longer lives. And who doesn't want their dog around a lot longer? Mm. Dogs aren't living as long as they used to. There's so many different things in our environment that are causing them to live shorter lives. So if you can give your dog a leg up, so to speak, on having a happier existence, a healthier existence, then why wouldn't you take advantage of that? No, I, I completely agree with that. And, and, and of course, um, you know, CBD <clears throat> uh, has been emerging in, in human health and human wellness over the last decade. So it's, I, I guess it's not really a surprise to me that, um, uh, that the benefits of CBD would be translatable, right, to our four-legged, uh, our four-legged companions. It, well, you, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned pain and you also mentioned anxiety um, as, uh, as two issues um, that are, um, that, that CBD can be helpful in. I'm curious, what, what are the type of health concerns uh, are pet owners uh, using your products to help support? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, immune health is a big buzzword right now. Everybody wants to get on the immune bandwagon. Um, and I think helping your dogs from a very, very young age by boosting immunity is, is super important. So we have some immune products, some with CBD, some without CBD. Um, I'm a big proponent of mushrooms. Um, I know mushrooms are one of the reasons why I successfully went through my journey over the last year. Um, hip and joint is going to be always a big one um, for those larger breed dogs and even some of those smaller breed dogs. People will come to us with dogs who have dealing with reaction issues. So they're very um, maybe aggressive um, and just helping them get through those types of things. Skin and coat also big issues. Um, we use a lot of um, products that have glucosamine, uh, chondroitin, omega-3 fatty acids, different fish oils, um, you know, really getting that well-rounded um, diet and um, supplement um, space for your dog is, is it, it, it just makes sense. Like if we're doing it for ourselves, right. It just makes sense to do it for our dogs. And, you know, we, we grew up in an, in, in a, you and I anyway, grew up in a time where, you know, if you had a dog, parents went to the grocery store and bought a 50 pound bag of dog food and your dog ate that every single day. And that's just kibble. And it goes through a lot of crappy processes. And I, I'm not going to diss on kibble. I'm not a fan, but I'm not going to diss on it because there are great things you can do to make kibble a great meal. But now we have so many different options out there. Please support your local independent pet store. Um, if you don't have one in your in, in local area, then Google one and, and buy it online from them. Don't buy from Petco, PetSmart. Um, go to your independent pet store. It's what keeps America going, those small businesses. Um, but they are wealths of knowledge. Like they can help you 
not have to spend a fortune on your pet's diet, but make significantly huge changes that are very, very small in cost. You know, one of the things I, I, I talked to somebody the other day, they're like, well, I can't afford uh, to do raw food or I can't afford these expensive brands. I said, you know, when you cut broccoli up, what do you do with the ends of the broccoli? Your dog does not care. It's not pretty. What do you do with the you know green beans that you're not going to eat or the tops of your strawberries or the bruised blueberries or buy a can of sardines a couple times a week, throw a couple eggs in the meal. There are so many things. A can of pumpkin can last your dog a whole week. Scoop a big blob of that on the food. There's so much that your dog will eat that will make significant changes. Small little changes every day can make a significant change long-term in your dog's life. Um, for sure. Um, of course, here in the, in the, in the Dunn household, when, uh, uh, inevitably, my four-year-old Tuckerman, uh, who has a very sensitive belly, he he seems to throw up or have uh, a, a number two issues more than more than any dog on the planet. But but either way, um, when he's having uh, GI issues, uh, he does get a scoop of pumpkin on his uh, on his on his uh, on his meal uh, to help improve that. I guess what 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 I'm curious about is for most for most dog owners. Their their um, their veterinarian is their is their trusted resource with respect to all things related to their pets. In other words, you know, if 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 people are looking for information about how to improve the health and wellness of their pets, I would think the majority of them are going to start with their vet, and it makes sense, right? Um, but what I'm curious about is from your, from your perspective, um, how much, how much are, are veterinarians endorsing and supporting and embracing this idea? Well, this, I mean, it's almost complementary medicine in a sense. Um, what's your sense, uh, about, uh, how accepted, uh, products like yours are in the in the world of veterinary medicine. That's um, that's a touchy subject. Um, I think maybe a little more open here out in the Pacific Northwest. So I'll I'll, I'll preface it with that. You know, I, I again, um, veterinarians, medical doctors don't take years of nutrition classes. They take limited nutrition classes because they have to learn so much. So, you know, just like anything, anything that you're going to put in your body yourself, like when I was going through my cancer treatment, and I know we're going to talk about that, but you know, when I told them all the mushrooms and all the different supplements I was taking, and it was, it was a hard sell for me. And I'm like, why am I having to sell this? Like this is, I know this is the right thing to be doing. So I think, you know, when you're talking about supplementing, I think it's really up to us to be educated and informed. And if you're going to spend three, four, five thousand dollars on a purebred dog, then you should be spending that same amount of time that you researched that breeder or you spent going to travel to get to the learning about nutrition for dogs and how you can help your dog. That's that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> that's entirely fair. Um, in fact, in fact, I'm. It, it's, it's likely no different um, than it is uh, 
uh, in in human medicine as as well, right? Uh, I mean, for me, uh, it, in fact, I I just had a guest on um, uh, who you 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 might actually know. Just had a guest on um, uh, Nate Sannel. Uh, Nate is a ultra distance uh, cyclist, uh, originally from New Hampshire. Uh, also has a place in Vermont. Uh, and Nate Nate is. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, Nate is an expert on cannabis, and we, we did an entire podcast on on cannabis and uh, and the benefits of cannabis for endurance athletes. Um, but it occurred to me that um, my medical doctor probably is not the person I'm going to go to to ask questions about whether or not cannabis would be would be beneficial to me as an endurance athlete, right? Uh, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask my family care physician about changing my blood pressure medication, but I'm probably not going to ask my primary care physician about whether or not cannabis would be helpful in terms of me getting more restful sleep. Do, do, do you know what I mean? It's probably Absolutely. very, it's the same. Yeah. It's the yeah, same. Probably, yeah. probably very, very similar. And, and, um, I mean, and I think, no, and through no fault of, of their own, right. A, a, but a, there are a, a number of veterinarians out there who are we sell to a number of veterinary clinics like, and they carry our products and they're huge fans and huge supporters. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's just like, there are certain medical doctors you're like, you know, you could talk to about cannabis or using, you know, mushrooms to help with PTSD or, you know, something, you know, like a psychedelic mushroom is not the ones I was taking, but yeah. you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, I, and I suspect really that, um, uh, that, that this ends up being a, uh, a trickle up, uh, 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 sort of phenomena with respect to, to, to educating the medical community. That is to say that your customers who have very positive experiences with your products mention that to their vets when they go to see their, 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 their vet. In other words, your, your customers have done their due diligence in their research about, about nutrition for their dogs, have found your company and your products have started using them very successfully. And then again, not only share that experience with you, of course you, you want to hear that, but they also share it with their vet. Right? And so then pot potentially <laughs> the, the next patient and family member that comes through that office door of that, of that vet, that vet perhaps may be more open to exploring some other complementary, non-traditional um, ways to get uh, to improve the, the health and wellness of, of their pets. Um, you, you and I, you and I are singing that that same song there. So your your products are generally categorized in in three categories, as I'm understanding it. Again, looking at your website, there's everyday wellness, uh, botanical blends, and supplement powders. Yeah. Uh, will you will you speak a little bit about uh, about each of those categories? Yeah. So our everyday wellness is a, a great introduction to using CBD. Um, it, it's a basic. It's the same actually, the same uh, recipe that I started with back in 2016. So really simple ingredients: apple, peanut butter, oat flour, um, different concentrations of CBD in chew format. And then we have oil formats. Some are in uh, uh, hemp seed oil and wild Alaskan salmon oil that we source right here in Washington State. And then we have some higher strength ones, which are hemp seed oil for skin and coat. Um, then we have our function. 
uh, need state. So hip and joint, senior, immunity, um, we call it no more wiggles, but it's our calm and quiet. So those will have additional botanicals and adaptogens that if there wasn't CBD in the products, whether it's the chew or the oil, those products would be amazing on their own. So the CBD just kind of amplifies the um, the effect. So really, really um, amazing. And and I'll, I'll be honest, I am a fan of oils versus chews. So chews take a longer time to get into the body. Um, the oils are all in a fat-based oil, so the absorption's a lot quicker. Um, so if you've got a, an immediate reaction that you're trying to deal with, uh, the oils are going to work quicker and last longer. Um, and then our supplement meal toppers um, are all non-CBD. So they're 100% active ingredients, so there's no fillers. Um, different ingredients, and they, they're all need state focused also. So we've got hip and joint, senior, calm and quiet, immunity, and then um, a feline. We also have feline products. And then our most uh, popular of our toppers is our New Zealand greenlit muscle. So we source that directly from New Zealand. We don't use a middleman. Um, it's There's actually a third island um, in New Zealand, very, very south island. It's the closest to Antarctica. So very pristine waters, no runoff from farms or anything. And the, the greenlit mussel are sourced directly from there. Um, New Zealand greenlit mussel is the one supplement I would say every person who has a dog should have their dog on. It's easy. You just sprinkle it on the food, but it's so, so good for hips and joints and just it's a great antioxidant. So wonderful, wonderful product. And we actually combine that. Um, with a 95% cucurmin. So cucurmin is the active ingredient in turmeric. Um, so I use that for all dogs. So we've got dogs ranging in the age of seven months, all the way up. Bailey is nine. Um, he's our eldest. And they all have the greenlit muscle on their meals every single day. Mm. Uh, do you currently have it in stock? I think it's out of stock. Um, yeah. Actually, no, um, I think it should be back in stock because we placed an order last week for Greenland Muscle and we placed another order this week. So it should, I know there and I know it's in my warehouse. Okay. All right. Um, again, I've, I've been, I've been clicking around your, uh, your website. Yeah, I think it's out of stock on there. I got it. My hate to say it, but my distributors sometimes clean me out. So uh, okay. because we small batch make, yeah, that's the beauty of having your own facility. So one of the things that I, I pride myself in, so, you know, having this like, oh shit moment, we got to open a new facility is also like a, oh good moment because now I get to control everything and we get to control how much of everything we make. And what that means to the end consumer is you're going to always have something fresh. It's not going to have been sitting on the shelf. So the shelf life, you know, might be 18 to 24 months, depending on the product, but you're going to get a really fresh product from us because we're just constantly turning that over. I don't have to put a, um, an order into a, a co-manufacturer for, you know, 50,000 units. I can make 2000 units and go through it in whatever amount of time and then say, Oh, production team, we got to change things up because Kat talked about greenlit muscle on some podcasts and now everybody's going to buy it. So you gotta make more. <laughs> well, if, 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 if my, if my podcast causes your, your website to crash because orders go through the roof, I'm actually going to be somewhat proud. Of yeah, that. me too. Okay. Uh, and I'm sure that'll, that'll be a good problem for you to have. Um, I, I know in my conversation with Nate, uh, as we, when we talked about cannabis and, and endurance athletes, um, you know, there was this obvious question about dosing, right? So, but, so we're talking about CBD, not cannabis specifically, but, yeah. um, 
how do I know how much CBD to give my, to give my dog? Cause I, I, I assume that there's, you know, that there are some guidelines with regard to the size of the dog, for instance, and the, and the dosing around CBD. Yeah. So we go by weight. Um, and then if you end up having a consult with someone on my team, so if you write to us, you tell us about all your problems, we may change that depending on the need state of the dog, but a good starting point is somewhere between two and three milligrams for every 10 pounds of dog weight. I say if those are breeds that are like large breeds, uh, let's think like Great Danes, Bernese Mountain Dogs, probably err on the higher side, reactive dogs, um, higher side, little tiny yippy dogs, probably hot on the higher side, you know, super mellow dogs, that, that two to three milligrams seems to work. And there's like, we, we call it like a loading phase. So I usually say during that first week, you know, you're going to have to play with it. You got to be consistent. It's just like, you know, exercise. If you only exercise once a week or every 10 days, you're not going to see any fitness benefits or fitness gains. So it's about being consistent. I say the same way, the same time every day, just mm. get in the habit of doing that. Yeah. Um, I also remember in my conversation with Nate that um, one of the challenges of uh, cannabis delivery through uh, gummies for humans is that the um the time to onset uh of of the of the active uh of the of the active ingredients is somewhat delayed yep. uh with a chewy say for instance versus an, an an inhalant uh with respect to cannabis where there's almost an immediate effect like you know that it's working um so if you know so if i think about that time to onset um how do i know that it's working in my dog like what what's the What's, what's the time to action? What's the yeah. time to onset? I usually say like by, if you've not noticed a change in your dog's demeanor within an hour, so whether his haunches are a little lighter, he, he's maybe settled down and laid down now. He's not pacing anymore, drooling um, within that first hour. Um, then I'd say half the dose again. So if, I, if you're, let's say you've got a 10 pound dog just because it's easy yeah. and you've done two milligrams, if after, you know, an hour, you've not noticed anything, do another, you know, half, I mean, half of that. So, yes. you know, one milligram. Right. Okay. Got yep. it. Um, and then how long does the, how long does the effect last? Again, that's going to be dependent on that dog, but we usually say you've got a good four to six hours. Now, the really exciting thing that's happening for us is we're starting to add a new cannabinoid into our products. Um, and we're unveiling that actually next week um, at the first big trade show of the year um, called Global, which is in Orlando. And we're adding CBDA into our products. And most people don't know this, but CBD does not exist in the hemp plant. CBDA exists in the hemp plant. So CBD comes from the hemp plant after it goes through a process called distillation. So it basically strips everything out. CBDA is actually from the raw hemp plant itself. So we're adding that to all of our oil products. And basically you'll be getting twice the impact and it's going to be amazing. I mean, the studies are showing that CBDA is hundreds of times stronger than CBD. So then will the dosing need to change then if, if the, if the, effect no, is we're staying, saying, stay recommending with the same dosing. I think you're just going to see from our anecdotal studies that we're doing right now on our own pets and what studies are out there um, and what research is showing is that um, 
it's good. The onset will happen sooner and that the effects will last longer and you won't have to use as much. Okay. Um, it's really exciting. It's really exciting. Yeah. Well, and I, I appreciate you announcing that on the show. (laughs) Um, we've been talking a lot about dogs, obviously, because we have dogs. Um, but I, I I know a handful of, of cat owners, uh, do your products, uh, work on cats or do you have a product line for cats? Yes, we do. Uh, called the perfect feline formula. Um, so many people have cats and so many in our people in our offices have multi-cat families. I was, Fortunate enough, all of our products are named after some of the dogs in our uh, in our our family, with the exception of um, Baco, which is my um, my best friend Elizabeth Martin, who lives in New York, uh, well known uh, long distance athlete. Um, anyway, uh, yes, so we have a, a cat product called the Perfect Feline Formula. We have a CBD oil um, which has astaxanthin in it, which is the most powerful antioxidant out there. It is unbelievable. It's bright, 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 bright red. Um, astaxanthin, I take it myself. Uh, all athletes should take astaxanthin. It is the um, uh, ingredient that, or the, uh, it comes from algae and it's what makes flamingos pink, shrimp pink, salmon pink, powerful. And it works really great for cats. Um, lots and lots of cats have uh, a lot of inflammation and uh, joint issues as they age. Um and it also has a number of other ingredients uh, to help with UTI support. It has cranberry. Um, it has anchovy oil for skin and coat. And then obviously it has CBD. And then we have a cat topper, which doesn't have any um, CBD in it that you can just add to your cat's um, meal for additional supplemental benefits. Okay. One of the ingredients in that is yucca. And yucca helps with um, litter box odor, which is something a lot of people would love help with. Uh, I, I would imagine I'm not a cat owner, but I, I would imagine that would be the case. Um, crazy question, but dogs and cats are not the only uh, critters that we have living in our, in our homes, domesticated critters. <laughs> um, outside of dogs and cats, uh, ferrets or hamsters or gerbils or guinea pigs. I haven't worked with any of those. However, we have worked with horses. Um, We have an extra strength oil um, that has a coconut uh, or MCT uh, base from coconut oil um, with hemp seed oil in it, as well as CBD. And it's surprising because horses don't need as much. So dogs are about my my middle ground. They're that two to three. Cats need more. Uh, It lasts a shorter amount of time in cats. Uh, no surprise. Um, and then horses um, don't need as much. So like, a, I think it's like a thousand pound horse and I have a calculator for it only needs like 40 to 60 milligrams, which oh, really isn't that much. So like a 1200 milligram bottle would last them like 20 to 30 days if you were dosing every day. So, and I used to have horses, my kids had horses when they were growing up. And let me tell you, if I had had some CBD getting horses on and off a trailer, when I had, you know, five and seven year old kid pulling on me to get at the horse show. Gosh, it's been a lifesaver. I can, I can only imagine. Uh, Last question as it relates to to CBD. Um, What's the entourage effect and why is it important? Good question. Um, The entourage effect talks about the whole plant and how it interacts in the whole body. So there'll be different terminology that you'll hear. um, And, you know, if people are looking at CBD to use for themselves or for their pets, you know, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask companies. I would love for you to buy my products, but for some reason you want to 
you know, buy something at your local pet store. Make sure you're asking questions about the input ingredients because they're really important. So there's three different formats of CBD that you could get. You get isolate, isolate, which takes out every single thing. It isolates just that CBD molecule. So you have no other cannabinoids. And there's well over 100 cannabinoids that come out of the hemp plant. Um, then there's full spectrum. Full spectrum allows for 0.3% um, of it to be THC under the law. Um, that law, that number just was an arbitrary number. There's no rhyme or reason for it. And then there's broad spectrum, which extracts um, the THC molecule out of uh, the product. I use broad spectrum. And the reason we use broad spectrum, when I started, I used full spectrum with THC in it. But there weren't any long-term studies on dogs and how THC bioaccumulates in the body. And would there be any long-term effects of having THC accumulate in the body? for dogs. THC is very, very bad for dogs. It causes something called static ataxia. Um, if you've, and I'm sure one or two of your listeners has had this happen. We've had it happen at our home. Um, if a dog gets an edible and it's got THC in it, um, they literally become paralyzed. Um, and it's a frightening thing to have it, to see it happen. Um, it has happened to Austin once. And then he went the next day to grab the brownie again, a little stinker. He, <laughs> um, and we we did use, um, we made him vomit because I wasn't going through that again. So, you know, if you if your dog does get into to cannabis, um, into an edible, and you end up going to the veterinarian, be honest with your veterinarian. They're not going to judge you, but this is not something you want to have happen to your dog. So if you can make your dog vomit and get that edible up as quickly as possible, it's, I'm all for that. Well, and with, uh, with, with cannabis being legal now, uh, in, um, in the majority of us states and, and likely at some point very soon, it'll be, it'll be legal in all 50 us states, um, more and more dog owners or pet owners, uh, have the, have these products, these human cannabis based products in their home. So that's, uh, that's, that's good to know. And of course, uh, we know as, uh, owners of Labrador retrievers, um, they will if, eat anything. Someone <laughs> one, once asked me how I came up with the flavor for, um, my original, um, shoes. And I, you know, I didn't remember why, but I was like, you know, I could have had them be goose poop and Austin <laughs> would have eaten them. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I know that all too well. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I want to I want to ask you uh, briefly about about uh, quality assurance and a little bit more about sm small batch manufacturing. So, you've you've obviously made a commitment to quality assurance. I mean, you you've been you've been talking about this, um, uh, and I, I I would presume that that a part of quality uh, assurance is small batch manufacturing. Um, why, why is that so, so important to you as a, as a business owner? Well, I mean, sourcing the ingredients is, is vitally important. We have over 82 different ingredients in our products and that doesn't include the things like the basics, like the oat flour. I mean, this is very specified, um, ingredients. So knowing the traceability of them, you know, kind of the seed to input is, is super important. And we get uh, certificates of analysis on all of the ingredients that we bring into our facility. And then we third party test everything ourselves um, through an independent uh, third party lab here. 
Um, actually, our lab is in Oregon. And then, you know, everything's tested. I think that's so important to know the input ingredients that are going into those products. And they're, it's going into my dog. Like if I wouldn't give it to my dog, then it's not going, it's not going on shelf. So that's very important. We're in the process right now of going through um, an audit called uh, the NASC, which is the National Animal Supplement Council. So they are the body that uh, maintains um, that you are doing what you're saying you're doing. So auditors come in, they check your CBN, CGMP um, uh, files and make sure that your quality, you know, your quality control manuals are all in place. So going through that has been a, a, a a big process, um, but it's it's necessary if you want to be a leader in your field. And you know, just like Pumpkin Man, I crossed all my T's and dotted all my I's many, many times. And I might not be the smartest kid in the room, so I surrounded myself with amazing, brilliant people. Um, my husband Tim Moxie, like I said started noon blue 70 cannabis company he came to work for austin and cat as our chief operating officer um at the end of 2019 um one of our employees was a research scientist for the mayo clinic um so we have just really excellent people um that work for us and work for our team and i i'm very very proud uh to have them all with me it's safe to say that um that trust is an is an important component of your business. Meaning, um, the 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 folks who buy your product trust you that that the that the product that they are buying is of is of high quality, um, because they're giving they're, they're they're giving these products to their to their family members essentially. They're not not just their yeah. pets. I mean, yeah. we, we 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 use the term pets, but truly they they are family members, and so um, so they're. There, there, there must be a there must be a tremendous responsibility that you feel uh, as a as an owner of this type of business that the products that you are selling are are as are as high a quality as you can as you can possibly source. Yeah, you can't cut corners like it. It doesn't work. So as a dog owner yourself, you've you, you, you've obviously had the unique and wonderful experience of witnessing each stage of life um, that that our pets go through. Um, and, and, and so I, I'd love for you to share your unique perspective on that. Um, but, but before you do that, will, will you introduce your, your four legged furry pack again? You've, you've been referring, I guess you've mentioned, I think all of them, but, yeah. uh, but introduce all of them again, if, if you would, so we know sure. who we're talking about. Yep. So we've got Bailey. Um, he's a nine-year-old Springer Spaniel. Um, he thinks he's a cat. So we'll just leave it at that. Love Bailey. Bailey's a, a, a couch potato slash um, greyhound. So, and <laughs> the ultimate squirrel chaser. Um, he is my stepdaughter's dog and he's, he's lovely. Uh, then we have, of course, of Austin. Austin will be nine in November. Um, he is, uh, he's my soulmate. He's, don't make me cry. He's just the most wonderful dog. And, um, like I said, we call him Benjamin button cause he is going backwards in age. If you were to come to my house, you'd be like, Cat, what was going on? Cause he's bananas. Um, he will be, he's been gone since, uh, 10 30. So it's one 30 right now. And he will, he goes out with my dog walker, Nathan, they go on, um, he goes with his, he 
goes to day camp. He goes in the car and they go to um, various beaches around uh, Seattle. So he goes every Tuesday and Thursday because I just can't run him enough. Um, so he will come home and want to play ball. So we will. And he's um, a, he's a, he's a black lab. He is a black lab. Okay. Crazy. He is, um, he's turning into a gray man. So yes. he's, he's sprouting a lot of gray hair. Um, then we have Miss Harper, Lady Harper. Uh, she's an English cream. She will be three in May. She is, I never thought I would get a female dog. Um, she is an absolute love. Um, she is a true pandemic puppy. Uh, she is under the, oh wait, that's, oh no, she's back behind me. So <laughs> yes. oh, one behind me. That's I've, Harper. I've been, I've Harper is yeah. always, always, uh, within two feet of me. Um, in absolute love. And then we have uh, little Miss Blanca. And Blanca got her name um, for a variety of reasons, but she is seven months old. Um, I climbed Mont Blanc. Um, I did the Mont Blanc, the Tour de Mont Blanc over the summer as a celebration. Um, so that was part of it. But my last, my maiden name is Bianconi. So Bianco is also white. And um, my dad passed last year, so she, you know she's got a, a couple, couple namesakes. But she's um, a Spitfire. Uh, our breeders that we use, um, uh, Moonbeam in Vermont, um, they also do the same thing. They really, really study these pups. And Blanca was the first one to go up the kitty slide, and she is she is all that. So she is um, she rules the roost in this house. She's in charge. <laughs> Um, so those, those two female golden. And they're related. Yes. They're, yes. they're related. Yep. Got it. Um, they're, they're from the same dame and sire or no, they share I mom think, or they I think share Harper, dad? if I recall, Harper is Blanca's aunt. Got it. Okay. All right. Um, all right. Wonderful. And they're inseparable. Like it's like mutual of Omaha, like here. I can't believe I just aged myself so much by saying that half your audience was like, what is that? Well, I, I got, you know what it is, right, Chris? I, I do for sure. Um, well, let's, let, let, let's do this. Let, let, let's go through, let's go through some of these. Well, let's go through the different stages. And, and I, I want to get your take on, um, on, on the potential utility of your products um, right as a as 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 our dogs uh, go through these 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 different life stages and, and get a little bit of your experience your own personal experience um, with uh, with with these products in your own dog so we you on your website you talk about the developing years the proactive years and the cherished years mm. the, de the the developing years um, I uh, what what I got uh, from your website um, two stages there, the, the puppy stage, right? Up to six yeah. months and yep. then adolescence, six months to two years. He's here. There's, there's Austin. <laughs> now he just, Hi, bud. he just arrived. Um, and his tail is wagging feverishly. And his, his, and his sisters got up to greet him. Yes. With a Corgi. Cause you know, my husband's British, so she's got a Corgi. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, okay. So, uh, puppies and adolescents, what, 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 what do we need to know as dog owners about let's, let's focus on nutrition cat, because, um, obviously there's, there's a lot to raising, there's a lot to raising dogs. Um, but let's, let's focus on where I think you are undoubtedly an expert in this, in this field. 
what do we need to know as, as, as dog owners uh, uh, about the nutrition needs of, first of all, our puppies and then our adolescent dogs? Yeah. So when they're puppies, they're growing, right? Every day they're growing. And so their diet needs to reflect that. Um, a lot of people will say that you don't need to do a puppy food per se. Um, but I am a proponent of, you know, having a time period specific. I don't think you need to do the senior stuff, but the puppy stuff has a lot of those nutrients and vitamins. And you can get that through a good quality kibble. You can get it through a um, commercial raw, or and you can also make it on your own. Making it on your own, though, is going to you know be a little bit more complicated. You're going to have to be adding things in, uh, like organ meat and bone meal and things like that. So you know, if you're new to doing raw and you're interested in doing it, I, I kind of recommend starting with a commercial raw and talking to your independent pet store. Um, supplementing with the younger puppies, again, that green lip muscle super important. And then also um, using some type of um, mushrooms. And so we have a mushroom topper um, that has those, we call them the seven sacred mushrooms. That gives you an equal amount of all of the mushrooms. Um, if you're going to only do one, probably lion's mane, turkey tail. Okay. Um, and then, and then uh, uh, up, up to two years. So I, my youngest Boone just turned two. So we, we just came out of that adolescent stage. What, um, you know, in watching, you know, a lot of people think puppies are cute when they're really fat. I, I mean, I know you keep your dogs pretty lean. I've seen a lot of pictures of them. I keep my dogs really lean. Um, weight, especially when you have those larger breed dogs, the labs, the goldens, you know, they're prone to hip issues and, and joint issues. So keep them, you know, fit and, and lean at, as they're younger when they're more active, right? And they're going to develop um, healthier structures as they age. Well, a <laughs> uh, couple of years ago, Tuckerman went to his uh, annual wellness visit. It was and it was during COVID, so I I couldn't go in. I had to stay in my truck in the parking lot. They a t vet tech came out and took him and and brought him into the clinic to see the doc, and then vet tech brought him back out. And then I had to wait in the truck to get the call from the vet to let me know how the visit went. Anyway, long story long, the uh, the vet calls while I'm in the truck to give me the synopsis of the visit, and um, <laughs> she said something to the effect that. Uh, uh, he has a rather large carriage, uh, meaning he, he was, he was a little bit, he was a little bit heavier than he should be. Uh, she said, he's, I think she said he was, he, I think she's at that point, he was like 78 or 79 pounds and he was a three-year-old lab male lab. So it's not too far out of the, out of the equation, but she felt he was a little bit chunky, um, <laughs> and that, uh, he needed to lose a little bit of weight. So we, we made some, we made some changes nutritionally. Um, I mean, he exercises vigorously for an hour every day without fail. Um, but he was getting, I was giving him a little bit too many discretionary treats and his, his weight was going up a little bit. So to your, to your point, it, it is, it is incredibly important to, uh, to help them maintain their optimal weight. And by the way, he ended up losing, I think over 10 pounds wow. uh, by, by, by the next year, um, yeah. by, wow. by just cutting back his rations a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, being a little bit more, uh, being a little bit more conservative with his discretionary treats, he was able to to take the weight off. Yeah. And looking um, at, at things when you, you know, when you're looking at a package of dog food, looking at those first few ingredients, if you're seeing a lot of carbo heavy, uh, same with us, right? You know, if you're seeing lots of 
rice and, and uh, meal. And, you know, those are the things that you really want to be looking out for um, in a diet because it's, it's, it can, it's a slippery slope, right? It's hard enough uh, for us. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's actually, it's fascinating because uh, of course we know in, in human nutrition that a diet that's high in, in complex carbohydrates uh, can be atherogenic, right? It, it can, it can lead to early onset of, of, of arthritis or arthritis, atherosclerosis, cardiovascular disease. Um, and so protein and fat are important components in the human diet. Um, and I, they are, I'm sure equally important in the canine uh, diet as well. Um, proactive years. So we're talking about, uh, you talk about young adult dogs and, and mature adult dogs, by the way, is there what for you, Kat, what, 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 what would be the upper, and it's probably very much breed and or dog specific, but um, what, what would be the upper end of, of, of the range in terms of age, say for mature dogs so just, just so we, that the listener um, has an idea. Yeah. So we call a senior dog six and over. Okay. All right. Six hard, and over. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Good. So, so basically we're talking about the proactive years. That's like two years old to six years old. Uh, I'm in that sweet spot right now. Uh, yep. Tuckerman is four and Boone is two. Um, what, what do I need to know? as a dog owner uh, of two dogs that are in this, these proactive years. Mm -hmm. And by the way, what, what, what does that mean to you? What, are, what are the proactive, why do you use that terminology? What is that? It's a time that, that we can be aware of the things that unfortunately could be ahead of us. Right. So, you know, I'm going to say that I'm going to keep going to hip and joint because that's, I've got larger breed dogs. So those are the things that, you know, we're always going to be aware of, but you know, if we can be smart about how we're feeding and, you know, variety, variety is, is key and rotating things, even rotating your supplements is a great idea. So, you know, you don't have to stick with using greenlit muscle every single day. You could rotate it out with some other fish source or some other, you know, source that would be um, good, making sure they get a glucosamine, but just being var varietal in your approaches and you know, reading those labels. I mean, like I said, I'm a proponent of raw in its various formats, whether it's dehydrated, freeze-dried, actual raw, frozen raw. There's so many choices out there. If you go to those independent pet stores now, you're going to notice that those freezer sections are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's because the demand is out there. There's a lot of, of research going into how healthy um, those types of things can be. And, you know, when we, when I'm cooking, right. I love to cook. I think it's like my, um, it's like my therapy. Uh, you're a big cooker too, aren't you? If I recall. Yeah. I, you I post your cook, food yes. on, on I, Instagram I and stuff. Um, but you know, I'm always, you know, if I'm going to cut five carrots up, I'm cutting six carrots up. If I'm cutting up four apples, I'm cutting up five apples. So those are the kinds of things that we do for treats. I mean, Tim has um, carrots and hummus every evening for a snack. And the minute he pulls that stuff out, those dogs, they know they're, they, they go to their place. Right. And they're all just sitting there. So perfect waiting for carrots. Like, you know, so just variety. And, you know, when you were saying about the, the gaining of weight, probably wouldn't have happened if you were using things like carrot and cauliflower and broccoli right? <laughs> green beans green it's beans are hysterical watch them eat green beans it's my it's favorite it's absolutely true um well some of my some of my favorite videos uh on on the internet uh, are of dogs being fed um healthy uh health, healthy human foods 
and it, it's always it's always funny to get to get their reactions. Things um, like turmeric are so so good, you know. Mm. They, uh, yeah, so rec recommend recommend a product or two uh, from your lineup uh, for for my two dogs. Just let's let's use. Let's so use for my yours, dogs. I would mo most likely be using the Greenlit Muscle. Um, I would probably use our hip and joint chews. Um, and then on really, really active days, most likely I would use the hip and joint oil. Uh, hip and joint chews are just great because it's just like, here's a chew, right? They're perfect size for their weight. Um, and then, you know, if they, let's just say knock on wood, you know, did have a, a lameness issue, then I would use my um, Baco's um, uh, hip and joint support plus topper. Okay. Um, it, it, it's interesting that, that you mentioned that because uh, Tuckerman, when he was a puppy, uh, contracted Lyme disease. And um, so one of the things that we, we are, of course, um, um, we're going to be increasingly mindful of and watchful for uh, is uh, early onset of, of osteoarthritis. Uh, I believe, I personally believe that there is there's a connection between Lyme, both both in the human condition and in the canine condition, that there is a connection between Lyme disease and early onset osteoarthritis. I was I contracted Lyme disease a decade ago, uh, 15 years ago, um, about a decade ago, I was diagnosed with osteoarthritis in my right knee. Mm. I, mean, I was I was in my late 30s or early 40s at the time. I mean, how many 30 year olds get osteoarthritis in their, in their right knee? Now I'm a runner, but it wasn't because of running. I'm convinced that there, that there's a connection between my Lyme disease and my early onset of osteoarthritis. I also believe that potentially there's a connection between Tuckerman's Lyme disease diagnosis when he was a puppy and the potential of early onset of, mm -hmm. uh, of, of uh, hip, hip and joint issues. Uh, so knowing, that, knowing that at four, I'd have him on, a really good glucosamine, chondroitin, okay. greenlit muscle support. All right. So uh, to, two follow-up questions. One follow-up question is is related to, to 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 his weight issues. He doesn't really have weight issues, but you know what I'm saying. His weight issues. Uh, and then secondly, his very sensitive stomach. We're talking about my four-year-old lab. Um, so now he, he, gets a, he gets a milk bone biscuit sometimes two when we get home from our run every day. Okay. So that, that it's not that it's not, that he, it's not that he doesn't get treats and it's and it, honestly, it's not that I actually even pay attention to, to how many discretionary calories he's getting treat calories, but, uh, but there have to be some calories in these, uh, in these chews, right. Uh, Very minimal in mine. Yeah. Okay. So they're not less than what you're giving if you're using milk bone, but for him, I would do if, if you want to keep eye on his weight, like a salmon skin. They're literally like six to eight inches long and it takes them forever to chew it. So okay. it will also be a, a self-soothing thing. It's almost, you know, it's, it's a brain worker. So I would do something like that. Um, even like a turkey tendon, something that requires him to work for it. Okay. Um, great advice. Um, the, the secondary or the second question I have related to my four-year-old is that uh, he tends to have a very sensitive stomach. You know, when we give him new or novel things, um, more often than not, he's, you know, he's vomiting, uh, later, uh, in, 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 in the day. Um, how do these, how do these products sit, uh, on, on sensitive tummies? I would go very slow. 
any of the any products that anything new that you would introduce to him i'd be careful with things like turmeric um especially in the oils um i'd also be very slow with any oils because oils can cause gi upset but there's a really good product um i can i'm having spacing out on the brand name but you can buy it online called gut soothe and it might be something um it's a program that you do for 30 days and it it really really works i just can't remember yeah. the name of the company uh, well and and i'm glad you brought that up too um uh i mean gut health is important in humans and gut health i would presume is important in dogs as well um have, have you given any thought in terms of a product line and getting into probiotic uh because i i know that's an emerging thing in uh in, in in veterinary medicine as well in fact uh i came home with a prescription for uh or prescription i came home with a um uh with a with a gut health supplement after he I had to go see the vet because he was he wouldn't quit throwing up. Um, probiotics, your thoughts? Yeah, so definitely um, probiotics and prebiotics fall under AFCO, and AFCO regulates all food for pets. We fall under NASC, which is supplements, so we're dosage form. So it's a gray area. So we have a product. <laughs> we just don't know how where to launch it. So got it. Okay. All right. It's um, called, it's called um, Blanca's Happy Belly. <laughs> interesting. Uh, it's not yet available because no. you mm -hmm. haven't figured out how to get around. We're not sure which route we go. And if we yeah. go one route, it's, it's, it's a commitment. Okay. All right. Interesting. Um, well, well, we will be looking for that uh, as well. All right. Um, let, let's finish this, uh, this, this, uh, this uh, aging cycle discussion. With, with, with what you call the cherished years. Yeah. Um, fortunately, uh, I haven't, we haven't gone through that yet. Um, that's coming obviously as, as dog owners, right? It, it's at some point our dogs will mature beyond, uh, hopefully our dogs will mature beyond the age of six in this, in this case. Um, aging seniors, what, what, what do we need to know as pet owners about our, about our aging dogs? Um, from a, from a nutritional standpoint, uh, yeah. how do their needs change? Uh, how potentially could your products help to support uh, their sure. aging? Yeah. So I watch calories because calories in calories out kind of thing. They're not going to be as active. Um, and if they, even if they are still going out for an hour, two hours every day, the amount of calories that they're expending during that time frame is not the same as it, they are when they're four years old. So keeping an eye on, on calories, um, and then just being aware, like, I think that's one of the weird blessings that came out of COVID is that we were home. So we were watching our pets more frequently and we were becoming more aware of the things that they were, were troubled by and our senior dogs were, were one of them. So, you know, cognition goes down. There really is something in doggy dementia. It's, it's, it's true. They can display a lot of those similar symptoms. Um, eye health, ocular health is very important. Um, their gut, their skin can be a little bit drier. So just being aware of all of those things. So we have a specific line, three products designed specifically for seniors. Um, again, I, I'm always going to be a fan of the oils. And the other reason I'm a fan for them, besides the fact that they work faster, is that we're able to add additional botanicals and adaptogens 
to the product because they don't go through a heat process. So anything you bake obviously gets heated and a lot of the um, cer certain uh, additional botanicals or herbs that we put in, their efficacy, efficacy would be baked off. So in an oil product, it's all cold processed. So those, we can add more things to it. So again, you're going to get more out of the oil product. And then with the um, senior topper, it's specifically designed for seniors in mind. So it's got things that will help support cognition, help support brain health, um, eye health, skin, coat, all those types of things. Um, always, a, always a difficult um, conversation to have, but it's, it's inevitability if you own if you own pets, um, is, uh, is end of life stuff, right? Yeah. Um, have, 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 have you ever gotten any feedback from your customers about your products being used in the end of life process? Obviously not, not as a, not as a sole mechanism for end of life. That's not what I'm talking about. No, I'm no, talking no. About... But for easing that pain, that, yeah. that, um, um, uh, almost like hospice care type of thing. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So yes, um, the higher strength oils are used a lot of times in just easing those pains because it is such a difficult decision that we're given, right? Um, whether or not we extend their life or allow them to exit gracefully. And it might take, you know, when, we know when the time is coming, right? Um, but we might not be ready to to make that decision quite yet. So being able to keep your dog, your cat comfortable during that time um, is paramount. You don't want to see them suffer. Um, and a lot of our, you know, our customers, you know, will share their, their end stories, not a lot of them, but, you know, we get a handful every month and, you know, to hear that, you know, that, that dog got its last walk on the beach and was able to do that last walk on the beach um, because it, it was able to do that last walk on the beach. Mm. Um so, yeah, I mean, I know Brady, uh, we were very fortunate. Dr. Schaefer was able to come to our house that evening when it was, when it was time for him uh, to go. He had had a pretty bad seizure and I couldn't carry him in the house. It was January. It was incredibly difficult. And, um, um, you know, I, I, had, I know that the last few days that he was with us were, were really good days. They were good days for him. They're good days for us. Um, well, again, it's 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 nice to know, I'm sure, and comforting to know that that your products can provide some um, some comfort, you know, for 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 pets, um, you know, in 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 the final stages of their life. Um, Kat, how do how do folks find out more about uh, your products and uh, and also where where can they buy them? Hopefully you can buy them in your local pet store. Uh, we're not sold in uh, Petco PetSmart. We have uh, made a commitment to the independent pet retailer. Um, so if, you know, you go into your local store and it's not there, tell them that you want to have Austin and Cat there. Um, we are a Seattle-based company, like we said earlier. Um, we do sell online, Austin and Cat, and it's cat with a K, dot com. Um, and yeah. The independent pet though, support your local pet stores are really, really important. They were there for us during COVID. They stayed open. Um, a lot of them suffered tremendously during that time frame, And we were really proud to support them during that, that mm. time. And they supported um, us. So we talking about brushes with mortality. Um, 2021 was a significant year for you uh, personally and professionally. We talked about, you know, you moving into your, 
uh, your new manufacturing area, right, in, in, in 2021. Um, uh, in fact, that, uh, I believe it was the fall of that year, right, that, that, that you found that new home for, for Austin and Cat, right, yeah. that allowed you to, to, have, to have more room to experiment and, uh, and to formulate your products. Um, and then in, in December, you received news that uh, nobody expects or, or wants to hear. Um, do you, are you willing to tell that story? Yeah, I, um, I went for my annual mammogram in November and uh, got called back. And then by the middle of December, um, I found out that I had breast cancer, which uh, was kind of a slap in the face because I really thought I was immortal. <laughs> um, but I wasn't. And uh, I we caught it very, 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 very early. So I can't get on my soapbox and yell it loud enough. I know some people just don't want to get their mammogram, but I can't encourage women more to, to, to take care of yourselves and put yourselves first. Sometimes it's okay. Self-care is a, is a good thing. And um, yeah, so I, I had breast cancer and uh, had surgery a year ago, just a couple days ago. So mm. I'm literally at my, my year. Um, and it was, uh, it was, it was an experience. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I never thought I was sick. I never felt sick. Like I never said I'm sick with cancer. I just had cancer. And I think a lot of people um, approach it in the same way I did. And you know, of course I had those moments of like, why me? And I'm mad and I'm going to cry and I'm sad and all of those things. And I have daughters and, and what am I supposed to do? And thank God for health insurance and, you know, all of those, you know, whirlwind of emotions, but, um, I got through it and I have a phenomenal, phenomenal support team and network. And, um, it's amazing the people who will come out that you haven't talked to in ages and be there to support you and help you through it. And I'm, you know, it's, I know you'll find this hard to believe, but I'm actually quite an introvert. I really don't like to, <laughs> to get out there. Um, so, you know, and I didn't want to tell people, like, I just didn't, I wanted it to be like my own thing. But when my staff kept wondering why I didn't come to the office and why I wouldn't, you know, I'd be on Zoom calls. They're like, why are you coming in? And I, cause I bubble boyed myself. Like, cause <laughs> it was still the middle of a pandemic. And they said, if you catch COVID, we have to delay your surgery six weeks. And I was like, no way are we right. doing that. So. Right. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mentioned it's, it's news that nobody expects to hear, but maybe that's not necessarily true. Some women of course have a very strong family history um, and um, perhaps are are much more watchful and mindful um, of of breast cancer as potentially being a reality for them because of uh, you know perhaps because of a, a first degree female uh, relative. For you, was was that the case? Was there was there a, a strong family history for you? So I'm adopted. So that you know in itself presents a challenge. Um, so I did find out after I had been diagnosed that my biological mother had also had, um, breast cancer and caught very early on. But other than that, nope, that was, that was, that's my history. But I, you know, I've been, I've been very good about getting my mammograms and it was one of those things that I was going to be doing on a yearly basis. So, um, please go and get a mammogram if you haven't gotten your mammogram in the last, you know, 12 months, it's, mm. it's um, so important. 
If you don't mind me asking, how old were you when when you received the diagnosis? I am 54 right now, so I was 53. Okay, so, got it. Yeah, got it. Um, and, and you had you had been getting your annual man mammogram for yeah a decade for, a decade yeah. or or more. Yeah, I think I started when I was 40. So right. okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. Got it. Yeah, um, so now my girls will be a little bit more, you know, in tune and pay attention and um they'll they'll go through the same process. Yeah. Now does that uh does that change the calculus for them in terms of when they start getting mammograms? Just just at four No, because um unless you know, unless I have a reoccurrence right now, I think they'll stick with the you know, probably 40, um, unless something were to change. But there is, fortunately, on their father's side, there's no history. So, and I don't have the BRCA gene or any of that. So that was a good thing. So you, you also you also mentioned uh, to me that um, exercise and fitness, as well as as your words, an insane amount of supplements <laughs> um, saved your your mental state and, and helped you to to, to preserve uh, this sense of well being. Um, what so? Talk a little bit about the, the role that exercise and, and fitness had, and and more specifically, what it, what it, what it, what are these list 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 of supplements um, that, that that you took that helped you get to get through this experience? Yeah, so you know, I think exercise uh, it can help with so many things: depression, um, warding off sickness, you know, all of that, uh, keeping you fit and trim, and all all of that, those types of things. But for me leading up to my surgery, I swear to God, every day took so long. Like it wasn't just 24 hours. It felt like every day just stretched on and on and on. And I needed those days to go by because I was so eager to get this done. Um, and I had already been Zwifting. Like everybody, I think everybody knows who listens to your podcast, what Zwifting is, right? I had started, we'd started using Zwift before COVID, which is crazy. Um, and so I had already been Zwifting a ton, but I was like, I'm going to earn my Tron bike, you know, the glow in the dark bike. So I was whiffing up until the day before my surgery a ton because all I want to do is climb that stupid hill to get that bike. But I was back on the bike, um, you know, soft pedaling two days after my surgery, you know, walking on the treadmill, power walking on the treadmill. Um, that was my saving grace, you know, fitness and knowing that Oh, I have to work out. It was like a reason to like get up and not be woe is me. And um, it, it and that's how, you know, exercise has always been for me. It's just ingrained. Like I keep looking at the clock. I'm like, is it, what time's my workout? <laughs> um, so, you know, that's, that's super important. And, you know, eating super healthy. And, um, and like I said, I take a insane amount of vitamins and supplements. And so, you know, from the simple, I take vitamin C and vitamin D, you know, those are the good ones. I take a woman's supplement, but I take a lot of different mushrooms. I take lion's mane, turkey tail, reishi. Um, I take a multi-complex um, uh, Paul Stamets mushroom um, that I, I swear by. I take ashwagandha, which we have in many of our products. Ashwagandha can help with um, sleep, but it can also help with mood. So, you know, I did have some bouts of minor depression during that time. Um, I take turmeric. Um, I actually take cucurmin, but people know it more as, as turmeric. But I take cucurmin, which can help with um, inflammation and joint pain. I take astaxanthin, um, that powerful antioxidant that we talked about. I take fish oil. Um, I take collagen. There's 
probably three or four more. Anyway. Yeah, and we're we're we're, pronounce. <laughs> we're we're were you taking these supplements prior to your diagnosis diagnosis with with breast cancer, or did did some of those were some of those started or initiated uh, after after you were diagnosed? Some of them were increased after I got diagnosed, and then there were some additions that, um, like I take holy basil also. I some more additions um, that I added, and you know I just made sure that I had a lot more you know leafy green vegetables. I mean. This is, this is a pretty healthy household. I mean, how would we not be like, you know, background and, and my background in fitness and, uh, and we're competitive by nature and I love to cook. So I had all those things going for me. Um, and, you know, I'm very fortunate that I, um, that we, we own our own business. And of course it's really hard being an entrepreneur is really hard, but I have the, flexibility and um, privilege. I guess it's a privilege to be able to do all of those supplements. They're obviously they're not cheap, right? We know that and eating healthy. Unfortunately, it's really stupid in this country, but eating healthy is not cheap either. It's more expensive. Yeah. It's more expensive yeah. than, than eating poorly. Um, you, you must've had a, a clinical care team that was assembled, uh, as, as you know, to help to organize your treatment. Um, when you, uh, and at, at some point they probably said, well, Kat, do, do, do you take any supplements? Yeah. And you, you went must, through that list and I was, <laughs> and you must've been like, well, do I ever? And you started going through the list. Um, did you get any pushback from your clinical care team? Um, your, your cancer care team about what you were taking either before and then what you, what, what you planned, uh, to add or to increase, uh, and, and, and did that team participate at all, uh, in the, um, uh, in the manipulation or the, or the, the augmentation of that, of that supplement regime? I was really fortunate. I had a very open-minded um, team. I went to Seattle Cancer Care, which is one of the leading um, cancer facilities in the country. It's also known as Fred Hutch. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty hard, tough cookie. Um, and I'm hard, I'm pretty, I want to say stuck in my ways, but it's going to take a lot to convince me otherwise. And there were, there were some, there were a couple heated conversations. Um, I choose not. I chose not to go on tamoxifen, um, just because of quality of life, and I did not want to go on that drug. And so, there were some compromises made for me not going on that. And um, I loved the doctor that I had, and I, I'm not going to mention her name because I don't. I want her to have any fallback or feedback from it. But um, we had some pretty heated conversations about. I'm doing this. This is. I am taking charge of my my life. And if it comes back to bite me in the ass, so be it. But this is the route that I want to take. This is my wellness and my health journey. And nobody else can dictate how that has to happen. So I think they appreciated the fact that I was not wishy-washy and what should I do and not have a clue. So stand up for yourself, be informed. Well, they're your, they're your convictions, uh, right? And so exactly. if you, if, yeah, if it's you, for me. Yeah. If you don't passionately, passionately defend them, then nobody is going to. Um, and of course, as we, as we talked about, you know, traditional Western medicine, uh, has a medication for that. Uh, right. And, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, of course I, I worked in healthcare for decades, so I'm, I'm somewhat cynical, uh, as it relates to, to modern Western medicine, 
uh, and the influence that the pharmaceutical companies have on the way that um, certain medications are prescribed. So you don't, you're 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 absolutely preaching to the choir there. Um, uh, last question for me as as it relates to 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 the um, this part of your story. Um, what did you learn about yourself, if anything, uh, going through uh, receiving the diagnosis of, 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 of breast cancer and, and, uh, and going through the surgery and, and, and the subsequent treatments and then, um, you know, getting your first uh, clean scan um, December of, of last year? You, there must have been some self-discovery through that process. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, so much. 2022. You know, we say like, oh, I got cancer diagnosis in 21, but it was really 22 was the year, right, that I went through everything. Um, I think, and then I lost my dad last year too. So one thing I'll say is you can't get today back, right? So you can't. And uh, we're not getting any younger. I mean, this, again, I sound so cliche. Um, but cherishing those moments that I have with my daughters and my husband and my stepdaughters and those walks with the dogs, they just mean so much more. And, um, you know, just knowing that self-care is okay and knowing that if I want to meditate at two o'clock in the afternoon and my staff, when I'm in the office, I'm not in the office today, but if I'm in the office, I'm going to shut my door and I'm going to meditate. Like it's okay. It's okay to be selfish and take care of yourself because when I do that, I am a way better mom. I'm a way better boss. I am a way better dog owner. Um, I'm just a way better person. And that's, that's who I want to be, you know, as I live the next, hopefully 40 some odd years of my life. Yeah. I really feel like um, close calls with mortality Um really help us to reevaluate and, and refocus and recenter uh, about what's really important. And, and truthfully, the only thing that matters is the, the moment that we're in. Because uh, to your point, when this moment is over, we, you don't get a chance to redo it. Um, and, and, and I think about that a lot when I, for instance, uh, see people have uh, vacation countdown timers. Right. In other words, it's yeah. three months and, and two weeks and five days and 20 minutes until I go on vacation. Um, or, uh, you know, New Englanders were infamous for complaining about the weather and, and uh, looking always looking forward to the next season. Right? In other words, continuously projecting out of the present moment into the future as we longingly look forward to what is to come and completely miss how precious this moment, this moment is. I think folks that have close encounters with, with mortality, I think are much more in tuned with that. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I hope, I hope so. Right. I mean, um, yeah, I, I, I just, I've said it over and over the last couple of weeks. Um, Tim just walked in the room. So, um, <laughs> um, you can't get today back and, I, I'm never, I've never been a vacation calendar countdown, right? I, I, I look around the corner and there's a calendar on our wall and it's, it's from 2020. It's still there. Right? <laughs> I like the picture. So I'm, I, I, yeah. It, if you just not, I don't even know what day it is. Like it's, 
just live in that moment and appreciate because you never know like what's going to happen. Like I'm really fortunate. I, where I sit is I have this huge window on the other side of my computer and it overlooks this area called the Ballard Locks. Um, Google it. It's very cool. Um, it's where the boats come up. Um, and um, it's it, they raise and lower and all this, but it's also where the salmon ladder is. So the salmon come in here and then they swim upstream to spawn. So we get a lot of cool eagles here. And it's also borders a heron preserve. So we've got like all this nature. And there will be days where I'm sitting here and you'll see this, this, this eagle come in, right? And he'll just fly in and you're like, what time of the year is it? And you're like, oh, he's going for some lunch. And he'll either come back with a fish or he'll come back with a baby heron. And it's just like, it's just part of life, right? So appreciate, you know, being able to like, if it happened right now, Chris, I would stop talking to you and watch it and appreciate it because it's, it's just something that I can never see again, right? It's always unique and special. So just being able to sit back and appreciate those little moments, those little, you know, those little things that Tuckerman does or Boone does, right? You can't get them back. It's awesome. Yeah, it, it, yeah. I, I guess it, it it reminds me of the expression to to minor to major in the minor to make to make the little things really the big things because because in the end it it is about the little things. Absolutely. Cat, um, uh, thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This is awesome. This is way better than working. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Thanks again, Cat. Thank you. Hi, it's Kat from Austin and Kat. And I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time today to listen in while Chris and I chatted everything about pets, triathlon, and everything in between. As a special thank you, I'd like to offer you a discount code to purchase your very first Austin and Cat products. Just visit austinandcat.com, enter DOG50 at checkout, and you'll get 50% off your first order. If you need help picking the right product for your dog or cat, just shoot us an email and we'll be happy to help you. Thanks so much. And I hope you enjoyed listening to Chris and I chat today. If when you look at me, you only see a white face and cloudy eyes, a burden or a hassle, you've missed out on the best part of me. I am loving and loyal, protective, but kind. You are my one and only, and my tail will wag for you up until my last breath. As a senior, I've been with you long enough to know what you want without even saying a word. I know when you're happy. I know when you're sad. I know when you need me to place a paw on you. I know when you snuggle up to me and your heartbeat speeds up, it's because you are fighting back tears as you see what the years have done to my body. But inside, I'm still just a puppy, content with your love and your shelter. Love me until the very end, for I am a gift. With each wag of my tail, I say thank you. Bacardi Reynolds. If that quote put a lump in your throat, I know it did for me then you understand exactly why Austin and Kat was born. For everything they give us, we owe it to them to give them everything we have. Once again, you've been listening to the Eat Half Walkable podcast. 
If you enjoyed what you heard, please circle back to the homepage and click the follow or subscribe button to stay up to date with all the new content. And of course, if you really enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J. Dunn and the show's Facebook page at Eat Half, Walk Double. So make sure to check that out. And lastly, remember, the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.